Welcome to the Inclusive Education Project. I'm Vicki Brett. I'm Amanda Salohi. We're two civil rights lawyers on a mission to change the conversation about education, civil rights, and modern activism. Each week, we're going to explore new topics which are going to educate and empower others and give them a platform to enact change in education and level the playing field. We really had to talk ourselves up to try to make it seem like we were happy about it. We're in our third year, year three of a pandemic. We're juniors. We're, yeah, exactly. Um, Have we? Are we close to graduating? Maybe, maybe this year. I don't know. It's it's ongoing. Obviously, we can always look to the the brighter side of things, but I think. For um, me and and maybe Amanda too, like this last school year has been more difficult, I think, than the previous school year, right? Like at least we knew what we had and one of the topics that we kind of wanted to get into is this teacher and support staff shortage. Um, you know, it's something that we've dealt with since the beginning of this um, last semester, right? So now we're, we're heading into spring semester and you know we try yeah, to strive and, to and get I've you guys heard it's only gonna get worse like yeah. i keep hearing about a ton of teachers who are quitting whether it's because of being so overwhelmed they're burnt out yeah yeah circumstances, or you know there is that select few that are required to get vaccinated and don't right. want to and so therefore yeah. they have to leave their position yeah so all in all, well, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to teach staff. kids when if you're exposed, you have to be out for two weeks. Like you know, this whole thought of you know at the beginning of the pandemic where people were like, kids are resilient. Like we'll get them back. Don't worry, and we'll teach to them. Well, it's hard to teach to them when they're out every couple of weeks. Like it's 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 been yeah. very difficult. There's been so many subs and. You know what I've seen a lot of, too? Like, we talk about the pandemic babies and how there's so many more people getting pregnant over the pandemic because what else was there right, to do? Right, um, I have seen so many more teachers and aides go on maternity leave than I've ever experienced. Mm. Like, I have some teams where there's multiple people going on maternity leave at the same time. And mm-hmm. what is crazy to me is that there's no prep. Like, it's something, of course, teachers have a right to take the leave that they, they want and that they need. But what's missing from the district support is prepping the parent and prepping the child. Mm. Because this isn't just that two week, oh, we're, we're you know, having a quarantine. I mean, that's bad enough. But now we're dealing with several months where we're not having seven. It's a long term sub. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. And, and I, I, I think it's always been an issue. Like, I don't know that teams really prep for that to begin with, which is just another part of our problem in this country of not really caring about maternity leave in the way that we should yeah. and all of that. But well, also, if you remember in December, there was this like viral video where I think it was like in Iowa or something. And they were, there was like this cash grab for teachers and, um, because the majority of teachers have to pay for their own supplies. 
and it was mm. just kind of like the same sentiment of like why are we doing this like cash grab for the teachers like they should just have that support um and you right. know that's something right. that Amanda and I've always been at the forefront of is that like look the teacher is the first line of defense in in a sense of like being on the child's team and noticing when the child needs x y and z but not a lot of them right. feel comfortable advocating because they feel like and that's my biggest problem it's not it's not parents against the IEP team it's the IEP team and parents against the problem and what is the problem that you know what what opportunities are we creating for this child to access their education right like the the problem that needs to be solved is just making sure that the child is able to gain an educational benefit and this last year has just been so difficult um, in in so many different ways. And, you know, we've seen an uptick in our filing um, of complaints, uh, you know, and although Amanda and I still advocate at the IEP level, it, it's it's gotten difficult. Like, like Amanda said, you know, when you're dealing with a substitute teacher um, that's going to be there that may not necessarily have known the kid, you know, even if it's at the end of the school year, it's right. just, it's like right. nuts. <laughs> well, it's hard because, you know, one of the things that we often do when we get a new client and we go to an IEP meeting with them is we try to figure out what's missing from that IEP because often there are supports in place that the teachers are doing, that the support staff is doing, that's not in the IEP. And a lot of times people don't think too much of it. Parents don't because they think, well, it's being done. It's helpful for my child, it's being done. But here's the problem. Not only does it not transfer year to year if it's not in the IEP, like if there's accommodations, if there's even certain prompting, certain language that a teacher is using with a child that's working, if that teacher goes on maternity leave, or if that teacher has to quarantine, or if there's a change in staff, even a one-day sub, that information is often not transferred. And now look, we know a lot of teachers that do the best that they can to try to leave their subs with as much information as possible, but if you have 30 kids, and all 30 kids, you are individualizing, can you really provide enough information to that sub? And so going back to, you know, this, um, concept that I'm seeing of so many people going on maternity leave and how we've, we had never thought about it in this way as much. Like I have had teams where we've had to say, okay, we know this person's going on maternity leave. So let's, um, let's prep the kid for it. Let's prep the IEP for it. Let's prep the rest of the team. If we can prep the sub, right? right. But we are seeing a lot more of that with outages, you know, whether it's maternity leave or having to quarantine or, right a teacher leaving or we just don't have an aid Mm -hmm. and are we are we as a team prepping everybody to make sure that the person filling in is properly and appropriately prepared to work with that child and support them and I think you know we get people all the time who ask who think okay well I have four different aids that help my kid, like right. one each day, right. or I have one kid, one aid in the morning, one kid aid in the afternoon, or over the course of a year, I've had six different aids. That in itself isn't necessarily a violation or um, on its face a problem. It's how did that impact that child? Mm-hmm. Did we appropriately prepare mm-hmm. the team to support and sometimes if we have enough time, we can, if we know who the person is, who's filling in, but more often than not, it's not. And so that's where we're seeing something that 
does apply to regular times, but certainly is, is applying more in these COVID times where we are seeing a lot of quarantining or just shortages where we either don't have an aid or we have, you know, 15 different aids over the course of a month. Exactly. And I mean, I remember at the beginning of the last semester, um, one of the aides that one of my kiddos had, he's a senior now, um, he's had her for like six years, like gone, just like one day gone. And like, you know, the district made it seem like, oh, it was like last minute, but then she went to another school within the district. Like they could have planned it so much better. And yes, he had a couple different aides for like a week or so before they hired like a permanent one. And Amanda and I have our our theories as to why, you know, there's a morning aid and an afternoon aid, you know, and, and sometimes we try to get that consistency of just one aid the entire day. Um, but more often than not, the, the districts say, oh, no, we can't do that. You know, we have a morning aid and we have an afternoon. And it's like, okay, whatever. But anyway, I dig Well, and we get the argument sometimes from the school district that having a morning aid and an afternoon aid helps the student not become so dependent on one particular person, helps them transition better. And in some cases, true. But in reality, that's not the reason why there's two ways, you yeah. know. Uh, but, you know, does that apply in some cases? Yes. But does that apply in most cases? No. The student needs an A because they need an A. Whether it's, we're not debating yeah, them yet. Whether so we're not worried has, about. has a special need or not you can explain things to them. Do you know what I'm saying? And even if they had the aid for the year, like maybe next year is when you have a change in aid. But yeah, I've known kids that have had AIDS for years and then in high school, they don't have an aid anymore. And it's like, you appropriately prep, you appropriately do your shadowing and you know, you back away. And so those types of excuses are, are annoying, but you know, we really wanted to kind of shed some light on on the support staff shortages. We've had several clients that have lost aides and, you know, they, they come to us and like Amanda explained the, the difference of, of having kind of different aides um, may not in itself um, present a, an issue that we could file on right away. Maybe, you know, in certain cases, but what we're looking at is Take last semester, for instance, if the child had a new aid, a completely new aid every two weeks, and we saw an increase in behaviors, we saw that, you know, maybe some of the aids were not, um, because you have different aids, you have behavioral aids, you have aids that are actually um, trying to provide some type of assistance to the teacher to, to have the specialized academic instruction. Now, only a special education teacher can provide specialized academic instruction. However, to implement accommodations and modifications, the teacher may need an aid. So at least the aid is being supervised by someone. If that person wasn't qualified or trained appropriately and you've seen regression, you know, that is something that a man and I can definitely take forward. Um, you know, and each each instance is is different and you know, I hate I hate saying that, you know. Most of the time parents already have suffered, the child has already suffered and then they come to us and we're like, okay. But we have had a lot of clients that are our yearly clients where we have to wait and see. And I hate that approach. Right. I, I mean, we have, approach. To, we have to look at what's the impact to the child, their access to their education and the progress that they're making. And so, you know, if we're having a different aid every two weeks, the likelihood that that aid is that each aid is being trained appropriately right. and that they are fully implementing the IEP right. is, is less likely because 
you know, and, and, it, and it depends because you could have a student who the aim is their like a shadow aid for right. safety or yeah, safety, the aid yeah. is there to help with like one or two accommodations and that's it. Yeah. Maybe then a change every two weeks isn't going to impact them too much. But I have a lot of kids who have a lot of accommodations and they have a lot of support in the classroom. But aid does a lot to help them access the academic component mm-hmm. of the day and what so for a new aide to not only gain rapport with the student mm-hmm. which is essential but to be able to understand the accommodations that are in place remember those accommodations kind of get in the swing of things if you're changing in two weeks by the time those two weeks come around they've just gotten into the swing of things right. so for that kid to have that IEP implemented it's just it's not as likely that it's being implemented. So, so these are the details that you have to look at when you're thinking about, is this aid situation appropriate or not? And yeah. is the transition, the, the constant transition appropriate or not? Um, that impact. And, and it's, we're such between a rock and a hard place right now where there is that, those shortages. So, you know, we've talked a little bit about the difference of if you have a different aid morning and afternoon, if you have a different aid every two weeks, if you have 15 over the course of the year. But what about when you have an aid in the IEP, you have agreed to IEP, and the district says, we don't have an aid yeah. because we can't hire someone. Mm-hmm. Or we're working on it. What extent do we give the district leeway um, on that? And we're, we're dealing with that in several cases right now. We see it across the board that there are not enough aids for the amount of students who need aid, and it's a problem. And I think if the district is like transparent, because this is this is what happens: the parents that get angry are the ones that don't get updates, even though there's no update, right. but there's not consistent communication. So then they think like they're just sitting on it, right? The district's just sitting on it; they're not hiring anybody. And you know those districts that are saying like, look, yeah, it's been a month, you know, if, if this goes on, this is our plan for, you know, so I hate this, but like, you know, I've had an attorney say this to me, uh, an opposing counsel say this to me after an IEP, there's like, we don't look for like perspective, like it needs to happen for the district to like react, which I'm sure a lot of parents, you know, well, we don't see that here in the school. So we're just not going to, and it's just like, why are we taking this reactive approach when we should be proactive because the IEP Mm -hmm. is for the year. So that's prospectively. Yes. No, I, you know, whatever. But I think like when I think about these aid shortages, like we kind of knew going into the school year that that was going to happen. Why the district didn't hire extra Mm -hmm. because we all know that like if district, you have 15 aids because there are 15 kids who need aids or you know, 14 kids who need aid in their one classroom age. Let's just say that's the example. Yeah. At least once in a while, someone's going to be absent. Someone's going to be sick in a regular year. Someone's going to be sick. Someone's going to take a vacation mm-hmm. day. Mm-hmm. So you need a sub. Don't feel the pull from these other aides to use as a sub unless they're classroom aides. Generally, you don't, you're not going to do that because you're not going to pull from one kid to another. So in a normal year, you need extra aides. And usually what should happen is those are classroom aides that maybe there's no one in that class that necessarily needs it, but you have these extra aides so that they're on hand so that if someone, so I don't understand, like I get it that there's a shortage, but why we didn't proactively last year try to search more for 
like being creative to find additional support. And right. I know that aides for the most part are not paid very much. I know because I wasn't aide when mm-hmm. I was in college. I know they don't get paid very much. Mm-hmm. So have the money. We got COVID relief. Exactly. These districts got COVID relief. They should be offering higher wages so that these aides can then we can have extras so that the situation doesn't happen. Like why didn't we prepare? And like I think where I like to see districts be proactive in the sense of this immediate situation that we're describing is that they're like, okay, if this happens for another month, like here's our plan, right? I think that that goes so much longer. And, you know, it sucks. We always say this is what the district should do and maybe they just haven't thought of it but that's why we tell you the parent right to to have the IEP meeting and say look if this happens for another month like what are we going to do how are we going to try yeah what's plan b you know and if they're like oh if they try to kick the can down you know I think that's where you could put some pressure hey my kid is regressing and I would like to have a plan because I, I don't have faith. The last two months, you've said that you've looked for somebody and it's not happening. So what's going to happen if another month happens? I, I think that that's reasonable. And I think that the parent that shows that the parent is trying to be collaborative and is understanding. But what these districts do, and they do it time and time again, we saw it pre-COVID. I think it's just worse now is that they just, they are not transparent and they just, don't they like hide the ball and that's the right. worst thing like i said it's it's the parent and the iep team against the problem but so often it just seems so yeah. adversarial and you know well, yeah. it's a communication breakdown or mm-hmm. a lack of communication and we say this time and time again we say it to families that uh, one big thing that we can help with when we help with our clients is going in and helping kind of be the translator of sorts yeah. between the district and the family because often the communication has had such a breakdown that we're not communicating. But oftentimes it is the school district not providing information. And whether or not the district feels that the parent deserves or needs that information, I at the end of the day, more communication isn't going to hurt. I get that schools are trying to protect themselves to a certain extent and they think, well, we can't get too much information because they're going to use it against us. Mm. But more often than not, if parents are properly communicating, they're less likely to get an attorney in the first place Absolutely. because they think, I can trust this person because, you know what, things are hard, but they're at least being honest with me. Yeah, they're so me many people are so understanding. So many parents are just like, I yeah. get it, like, da-da-da, but then it's like the hurt from the past or, you know, hey, they've done this, you know, to me time and time again, and, you know, this is no different. And so I, I completely understand that. So if you're listening, you're just like, Vicky, Amanda, what do we do? Like, yes, this is happening to me. You know, there are a couple of things to do. We've already said, you know, IEP meeting. You know, we're like the biggest fans of that, like trying to force the communication, trying to force the exchange of information, you know, letting the district be aware because it's so easy for them to be like, well, we didn't know. We're not aware. And it's like, okay, well, I'm putting it in your face. So like you can't say you weren't aware of it. And it looks worse if they try to say, well, we want to do this wait and see approach. It makes them look so bad because if they're aware of a problem, they have an obligation to either assess in all areas of suspected disability or to try and provide appropriate aids and supports and services um, because, you know, the parent is bringing it to their attention. I think something else that we've seen that, you know, we've always tried 
for, and you know, it's hit or miss. It just depends if we filed or if we didn't. It depends on the district, depends who's on the other side when we're dealing with it. But the um, use of private agencies in a school district. So if we are trying to look for an appropriate behavioral aid and they're just not exist, in, you know, they're not in existence, you know, a lot of times um, parents will have via insurance or Medi-Cal or whatnot, uh, an a, a, a like a one-to-one that comes into the home. Um, and depending on the agency, again, depending on the district, we have seen that, you know, aid be able to go in and help the child for part of the day or whatever. So if there's this real shortage yeah. of aids and they can't find them, okay, well, I have somebody that knows my child, that works with my child, their agency's cool, you know, what can we do? Now, you know, we've seen that be used a bit more the last two years, um, simply because at least here in California, you know, Gav- uh, Governor Newsom had said, like, you're, I'm giving you this money, you use it. If you got to get private agencies in there, like, I don't, like, right. you have to provide right. special education services to students. So, you know, that's something that we've, we have been able to, to try and implement. And again, it's, it's that making sure that you are able to provide to us what's happened, how long has it happened. And that's as simple as just, email exchanges, right? Like, hey, we're going on week five. Um, You know, I've noticed that my child's not getting his homework done or this or that. Another thing, like, that is just, again, the the awareness. So those are a couple of things that I think, obviously, go to to somebody, go go to an advocate attorney, like, to talk about it. Right, and I I think if you're a teacher or administrator listening, you know, we get it. There's, you know, you put your job listings out, all this. one hand a certain line where you can say we're doing everything we can um headhunters there are agencies that help place people if a school district is so in need and is posting job listings and they're still not getting enough applicants there are other resources and so i really encourage you districts to reach out to these agencies or even reach out to the private agencies and say, Hey, can we, you know, contract with you for, you know, X amount of services or, you know, because usually districts only contract out for to agencies if they have, if they like in the IEP need ABA. Um, but there are agencies out there that, that are providing supports. Um, but also reach out to agencies that can help find you, um, hires. So, you're doing everything that you can be doing to find these this staff but on the second hand if you really are doing everything you can communicate to the parent like it's it's the basic bare minimum you can be doing is just to be forthcoming with the parents and let them know here's where we are in our search we have listed it on all of these different websites we have we have been putting it on our social media Mm -hmm. that we're searching for these people you know that's something that's not utilized enough is like social media and you're probably um, doing all of that but the parent doesn't know and they just want just like any human that for you to show that you care I think that's been the biggest thing is like, it just does not seem, and that's like been the MO. That's probably one of the first things that parents say to us is like, they just don't care. And I'm sure there's like a small percentage that don't (laughs) for like whatever reason. That's just like in the entire human population as well. Like there's a small percentage of people I feel like 
the last two years, there's a bigger percentage of people that don't care about other people, but I digress. Um, <laughs> we don't want the parent to feel, you know, we get involved because we want to rebuild the relationship between the school district and the parent. We shouldn't be there from three to 18. You know, we can be, but, you know, our right. job is really rebuilt because a lot of parents lose faith in the district. And this is pre-COVID stuff. It's getting a heck of a lot worse. And guess what? Parents yes. are going to homeschooling. Parents are going to charter schools. Parents are going into private yeah, schools. Yeah, more and more families are pulling their kids. And, and guess it's what? It's not good because there's less money, public funding, that goes to schools when the kids aren't going to school. So it's 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 gonna really come take down. a little time to build the trust, and I get it. It goes both ways. There yep. are some families yep. that aren't forthcoming either, so it does go both ways. Yep. But that's like the number one tip we always tell people is if we yep. can build the communication back up, yep. it's gonna be better for everyone. And I know that's you know uh, contrary to what some you know. Uh, attorneys might say it's like oh no you want to withhold because you don't want to give them too much because yeah. it can hurt you in in court well guess what we're not going to be in court the majority of the time your kid is going to be there eight to eight to uh, three to 22 like at the end of the yeah. day there's more going on outside of court to be worrying about that be more forthcoming give better communication yeah and it's going to be better for everyone districts, in the long run. districts you have to know that parents have so much trust and faith in you i can't tell you how many times I'll, you know, I'll draft a complaint, I'll give it to the parents, and they'll just be like, oh my God, like, why didn't I see how much they screwed me over or right. didn't care about my child? And I'm like, you, it it seems like that, like when it all piles right. up, but you were doing the best that you could. And this is what I'm saying, like, parents are so understanding. You can tell them X, Y, and Z, and you could be very honest about it, or you could just kind of be blowing smoke up, but they trust you. <laughs> and right, the people that blow right. smoke, like, I'm going to come after you, but, you know, it's it's difficult when we go to IEPs, and we're like, dang, that was a really good IEP team. They seemed super genuine. They were giving us all this information, and the parent is just, like, out for blood, and they're just like, no, they're this, and it was like, listen, we've been doing this for a while and this is a good team. We can work with it, you know, and, and that it's right. sad that that's the minority. And so, right. you know, when you're, yeah, but I, we do see a lot where we go to those IEP meetings and everything seems great. And they say, we're going to do all of these things, but then right. we leave the meeting and everything that they said they were going to do doesn't happen. Right. So I get it. Why sometimes like on the face, it, it is hard. So that yeah. goes back to the communication. Yeah. Like if you say something in the IEP, right. Call through. right. And I, I guess like my like takeaway for like the district staff is yeah, just to, to have that communication. And I get it. Sometimes you are being that forthright and the parents just like not getting it, but but see that, you know, it doesn't have, you know, cause that happens all the time too. It's just like the parent keeps saying the same thing over and over. And then like, they're on a different page than, you know, it's like, we still yeah. have to have a little bit of humanity here, people. And I know we're on our last yeah. nerve. We're juniors in this yeah. pandemic, but you know, I know 2022, you know, we're really trying to be optimistic that, you know, we can finish this semester strong and on a better foot than we started it. Let's hope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're still putting in the work. We know you all are too, both from the school side and the, yep. the parent side, of course. Um, you know, we, we hope that we continue to provide you a great service and providing you this information. Um, and, uh, we thank you for listening. Absolutely. Happy new year.
I don't know that we're gonna say it. I remember one year we like said it until like February. I don't think we're doing that this year. <laughs> well, because I think it was like we, I, that was probably 2019 where we we're very optimistic um, about a brand new year. Whereas here we've got Omicron, Omicron. I don't know how to say it. Anyway, the new variant, and we don't know what's happening. Um, you know, we're trying to be optimistic that more kids are going to be vaccinated um, soon and that we're in a better position. But there's still a lot of unknowns and we get it. It's unknowns for everybody. Yeah. So, you know, and, and we recognize we, we recognize that there are a ton of district staff that are doing the best that they can. You know, obviously, in our line of work, we don't see that as often as, you know, actually happens um so please keep that in mind um we know that there's so many of you doing amazing work but you please take it with a grain of salt that that's not necessarily what we see so (laughs) that's where we're coming from and we know that there's a lot of parents that kind of see the side of things that we see so hopefully this was super helpful you know we're wanting to kind of do these little vignettes again um just to kind of check in with you guys and give you those tips and tricks so that you can implement them and then of course if you ever need to speak to somebody like please reach out you can email us at info at iepcalifornia.org. We are always there to listen, or you can send an email through our website, um, inclusiveeducationproject.org. And don't forget, we do weekly Q&As, weekly, bi-weekly? Bi-weekly. Bi-weekly? Yeah, we started that. Mm Bi-weekly Q&As on our Instagram Mm -hmm. stories. So remember, if you don't follow us, go ahead and follow us so you can see. We'll have that question box up there to... Um, if you want to ask us a question, remember, it's not going to be legal advice, but you know, it is going to be IEP education related. Um, and, and either Vicki and I will hop on our stories and answer your questions. So, um, absolutely. And an obviously we have in our highlights, our past ones. So check those out. Yep. Have a good rest of your week, day, night, whenever you're hearing this, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.